Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. We're going to continue in our series here on toxic leadership. And uh, last time we were together, it was the last Sunday night of November. So we're a good five, six weeks away from our last series, our last message in this series. And we had all the Christmas events and special services and things that took place there. And we saw by way of review, I won't spend a long time on review. If you want to review, you can go back and listen to any of the messages on the website or the podcast, the Facebook page. But by way of review, where we've been, we're studying the life of King Saul in 1 Samuel. And where we've been, we saw Israel demanding a king. By the way, it was never God's intention for them to have a king. And we looked at that. Be careful what you wish for, I think was the title of that message. And Israel saying, we want to be like all the other nations, Christians. It's a dangerous thing when the people of God want to be like those that are not the people of God. There ought to be a difference between the holy and the profane. And, uh, and they said, we want to be like them. Give us a king. And, and, uh, and so God and Samuel, they had some conversations and and we saw where Israel demanded a king, and then we saw God's choice, God's selection for that king. An unknown uh, man by the name of King Saul, or not at that time king, but an unknown man by the name of Saul. And we saw the miraculous way that God called Saul and, and his anointing and his introduction to the people of Israel. Saul was a head and shoulders above anybody else and, and uh, a very impressive man and, and in many ways a, a humble man and a God-blessed man, a God-chosen man with a bright, bright potential. And that was where we were at the last Sunday in this series. I preached a message entitled, The Big If. We, we studied through 1 Samuel 12, and Samuel and the children of Israel and God's people were faced with a choice. If you'll do these things, then this God will bless. And if you choose your own way, then there are going to be consequences that you'll face there. And we looked at that big if. I want us by way of review to look at the last two uh, verses of where we were last time, just to kind of lead us back into context of where we're at. So we see where we were. The children of Israel have a new king that's been introduced to them. And Samuel is now giving them some of his last words and really challenging them. Okay, you've got a choice. Are you going to follow God or are you going to go your own way? Verse 24. Notice what it says. Samuel says to them, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart for consider how great things he hath done for you. By the way, that's a great challenge for every one of us. Serve God with all our heart considering how great things he's done for us. This is not my message. That's why we serve him. You, you shouldn't be serving him because you have to. You shouldn't be serving him because someone's forcing you to. You feel guilted into it. No, because we consider how great things he has. And the love of Christ constraineth me. If God would love me that much and give his son for me, I want to serve him as I consider the great things he's done for me. Verse 25, notice that, that word we looked at last time. The second word of verse 25, 1 Samuel 12. What is it there, church? But what? If, but if. But if ye shall still do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. Kind of ominous words there. And so here we are, first king, nation of Israel. They, hadn't, they, they had been a theocracy. They had been ruled by God. They had had some judges. Now they have a king. 
And, and, and they weren't supposed to have a king, but God said, okay, if they want a king, I'll give them a king. And he chose them a good one. And uh, he selected Saul and Saul was humble and, and, and came in. And Samuel says to Saul and to the people, you've got a choice. Which way are you going to go? The big if, what we preach there and that message. And, and that's where we're at. We see, now notice the first four words of verse one of chapter 13. The first four words, we're going to look at the first uh, 13, 14, 15 verses of this chapter tonight. Look at the first four words. Would you read those first four words aloud with me? Chapter 13, verse one, ready, begin. Saul reigned one year. So where are we? We have a divinely chosen king, a God-ordained national leader with incredible potential, he has great support. He had 300,000 men that had rallied around him and, and were willing to fight. And, and he has great support. He has loyalty. He's reigned for a year without any incident. Things are going well. The, the nation has this choice and this promise given to them. If they choose God's way, it's going to go well. If they don't, it's, it's not going to go so well. And so that's where we're at. Saul, the, the entirety of his, the state of the union, if you will, for Saul's first year of, of, of his kingship was those four words. All we know about those, this first year, Saul reigned one year. Must not, nothing bad must have happened. Nothing of too much note must have happened. I don't know for sure, but I kind of get the idea that they must have been going along pretty well, and, and maybe he was acknowledging God, and, and the people were following God because it says Saul reigned one year. And then we notice the end of verse 1. And when he had reigned two years over Israel... When he had reigned two years over Israel, stuff is about to start happening. I thought about titling this message because it's chapter 13. Chapter 13, Bankrupt Leadership. I chose instead the title, It's All Downhill From Here. Now you can use that to mean the hardest parts behind us and it's all downhill from here. I mean, it's going to get easier from here. That's one way that that phrase can be used. But another way that phrase can be used is, man, things went downhill from there. And, it, and meaning it got worse and it got worse and it got worse. And that's what we're seeing here. We're using that phrase and the idea of things in Saul's reign are going to start going in the wrong direction and they're going to pick up speed from here on out toxic leadership. As we come to chapter 13, the toxicity of Saul's leadership really begins to be revealed and his reign and his life begin on a downward path here in this chapter. And as we're going to see in the coming Sunday nights, it's all downhill from here. And my prayer is, why are we studying King Saul and toxic leadership? My prayer is that we'll see some things in scripture and we'll see some warning signs in his life that hopefully we'll learn from his mistakes so that we don't repeat them in our own lives and leadership. Somebody said experience is the best teacher. Somebody else said actually someone else's experience is the best teacher. It's better if you can learn from somebody else's mistakes. Now, most of the time, most of us, we have to make our own, don't we? And we learn the best from our own experience. But the truly wise ones don't say, well, let me go make all these mistakes so then I can become really wise and experienced. No, I saw that one and I saw that and I saw that. And that's the goal here is that we'll learn from Saul's experience, from Saul's mistakes, and, and it will, will, Lord willing, stay away from those mistakes. Let's read our text going through the first 14 verses of this chapter, and then I'll pull out a few thoughts for us this evening. Verse number two, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul and Michmash and in Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gibeah of Benjamin, and the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. I want you to get, a, if we could throw that map up there just to get an idea. So Saul 
and it's hard. This one's kind of hard to see. I meant to bring my laser pointer and I left it in my office. I'm sorry. But where we're looking at, if you have really good eyes, probably some of you are like, that's just a yellow picture up there. But here toward the bottom, there's a, there's a white dot, it says Michmash, a white dot Giba, a white dot Gibeah. And where we're at is Saul and Jonathan, Saul's son Jonathan, have split kind of some special forces, if you will, some, some soldiers. And some of them are with Saul and Michmash, and the others are in Gibeah. And notice what it says in verse number three. And Jonathan smote the Philistines, the, uh, the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba. That's the middle white dot there toward the bottom. And uh, you can see in a minute, we're going to read about Gilgal. That's the red dot to the right there. And so right down there, that blue line, those three white dots, that's where we're at. They're there. Saul has some, some soldiers. Jonathan has some. And the Philistines, the Philistines were enemies of God. They were, they were from Greece, from Crete. They had sailed the Mediterranean over, and they had set up some outposts there in Israel. Goliath was a Philistine that David ended up killing the, the giant, that Philistine, the, the champion of, of the Philistines. Jonathan, in verse 3, smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the, blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, let the Hebrews hear. Attention, public service announcement. We interrupt this broadcast to let you know in verse 4, and all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten a garrison of the Philistines. By the way, this is not my message. We're going we're gonna to study this enough in his life. But what does the Bible say in verse number 3? What's the, the second word of verse 3? And who smote the garrison? And Jonathan smote the garrison. Notice it says here in verse 4, and all Israel heard say that who had smitten the garrison? Saul. We're going to see pride's going to be a real big problem in Saul's life. He's taking credit for what others have done. But it says here, Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines and that Israel also was had an abomination with the Philistines, meaning we, we woke up, the, we, we poked the bear. They're not real happy with us. And the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. So Saul gathers um, and gets his soldiers over there to Gilgal. You can see that red dot to the right there. In verse number five, and the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel. Notice this, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in Michmash eastward from Beth-Avon. How many, if you remember, we just read it here. How many soldiers does Saul and Jonathan have in the verses earlier? They have 3,000. What did it say about the Philistine soldiers? They had 30,000, 6,000 horsemen and infantry that you couldn't even count. That sounds like something to be really fearful about. The only problem is, in Israel's history, there had been another time when one of God's leaders had a small number of soldiers. His name was Gideon. How many soldiers did he have? How many? Anybody remember? 300. 300. How many did Saul and Jonathan have? 3,000. They have 10 times more than Gideon did. I want you to keep that in mind because Saul knew the history of Israel. And so you say, well, it makes sense why he would maybe be fearful or whatever. Oh, no. And, and you say, well, it says the sand of the seashore. The interesting thing is, if you study the story of Gideon, you go to the book of Judges, and we won't go there tonight. But it, it, it describes the enemies that Gideon uh, um, killed it, with the same verbiage, sand of the seashore. They, they had camels and, and soldiers as the sand of the seashore. And so this is, this is kind of like a rerun. God's already won victories like this. Notice verse 6, when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed. Then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. Fear came to all the people. The soldiers are scared. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. They said, we're out of here. And for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal and all the people followed him trembling. Verse eight. 
And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. We get the idea must have happened. Samuel must have said, hey, I'll be there in seven days to take care. I'm going to come on the spiritual side to offer sacrifices. Wait for me. Don't do anything. I'll be there in seven days. Because it says here he waited seven days when the time Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal. Samuel was the, the prophet, the, and he was the one that, that had anointed Saul. He was the spiritual leader of Israel. Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. And Samuel said, what hast thou done? What, 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 what did you do, Saul? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me and that thou camest not within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself therefore and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, what does he say those four words, church? Samuel said to Saul, what? Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. It's all downhill from here. We see now the beginning of the end of Saul's reign. And I don't know exactly how long this series will be, but over the next four, five, six Sunday nights, we're going to see some characteristics of what led Saul there. And this is where, what, what, what ended up happening in his leadership. And this is where it started. Where did Saul's downfall begin, church? Saul's downfall began with the deadly sin of self-will. The deadly sin of self-will. I want you to look at verse number 11 again. I have them circled in my Bible. Notice, notice the personal pronouns. And Samuel said, what hast thou done in verse 11? And Saul said, because what, church? Because I saw that the people were scattered from what? Me. Verse 12, therefore said, I, the Philistines will come down now upon me, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore. What do we see here? In, in chapter 12, Samuel left them with a choice, that big if. If you will follow God, you will find blessing. But if you will live for yourself and follow your wisdom, you're going to find cursing. And what do we find in verse 13? Saul saying, I did what I thought was right. I believe this was what was best. I thought this is how I could make it work. I took matters into my own hands. And the beginning of the end for Saul came in his life when it was all about him and his ideas and his will and, and his thoughts and his wisdom. And you know that, that today, every one of us on a daily basis have the same choice to make. When we wake up, are we going to go God's way or my way? Are we going to choose God's wisdom or my wisdom or the world's wisdom? What makes sense to the world? Are we going to go with the word of God or are we going to go with the word of our friends? Are we going to do what God has commanded or what makes sense to us? These are daily battles and struggles and decisions that all of us must make. And by the way, the more people in your life that you influence, the more, the more impact those decisions have because Saul's decision to choose his way instead of God's way impacted an entire nation. It impacted his family for generations. And, and for you and for me, our decisions don't just stop with us. God's way 
or my way? God's will or self-will? What choices are you making in your life? And I want you to take inventory tonight. Have I taken my life into my own hands? Have I decided what was best or am I following God and his word and his spirit in my life? Even God-ordained leaders can make these mistakes. As we see, Saul was a God-ordained leader and can mess up the good that God is doing or the good that God could do in their lives. There can be a time where somebody was in leadership for a period of time and they did well. And then they got lifted up in pride. They started thinking it was all about them and look at what I've done and look how much wisdom I have and look at what I know. And boy, I've got, I, I, I've, I could say I've been in ministry for almost 21 years. I know more about the ministry than any of you, so don't question anything that I do. Oh, be careful, Pastor Ryan, getting lifted up in self-righteousness and in self-will and in pride. That's the surest way to be brought low. Whoso will lift himself up, the Bible says, shall be brought low, but whoso will humble himself, the Bible says, will be lifted up. Pastor Sammy, every now and again, and we've known each other uh, since he was, I guess, 18, and I was probably 21 or so. We've known each other for quite some time, and, and, and he can say some things to me that maybe others might not feel comfortable saying, and there will be times Pastor Sammy will send me a text or say something in the offices along the lines of, don't get lifted up in pride. God is doing some great things here. Stay, stay who you are. Stay close to God. Stay humble. Why? Because we have seen in our own lives the dangers of pride. We have maybe seen in some uh, other leaders in our lives at times, maybe throughout the years where they get lifted up or maybe on, on a national scale, you'll read the news about this mega church pastor or this politician or this business and what happens and self-will comes in and, and we end up, it goes downhill from there. Saul missed great blessing in his life because he chose his own way. He changed the direction of his life and family for generations he affected those he loved most. Why? Because he decided that he knew better than God. Would you go back? This is all introduction, and then I'm going to tie this up, and I believe it'll be a help to us. Look at verse 22, please, of chapter 12. Let's go right back to that chapter we were in last time. Look at verse 22. Look at verse 22. This is powerful. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, Samuel speaking, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things he hath done for you. What do we see there? Such great promise and potential for the nation of Israel. Such great promise and potential for the, for the, 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 the leader in the reign of King Saul, he said, God has great plans for you, and I'm going to teach you the right way to go, but you've got to choose God's way. And in year number two of his reign, I don't know for sure, but I get the idea that in year number one, he was choosing God. But in year number two, he threw away all of that promise and all of that potential and such a contrast here of the potential for good and the reality of how he destroyed his God-given opportunity. And I've watched it happen with, with fellow Christians. And I've watched it happen with pastors. And I've watched it happen with teenagers. And I've watched it happen with college students. Such potential and such promise. God has, says, I, I've got good things I, I want to use you to do. And I have a wonderful plan for you. But then we choose our way and we throw away all that potential. We destroy relationships. We, 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 we mess up what God could have done in our lives because we choose our way and not his way. I don't want that to be the story of my life. It all started going downhill when Saul believed he knew better than God. He knew better than God's word and he knew better than the influence of godly leaders in his life. 
Wasn't it the godly leaders that had said, I'll teach you the right way to go? Wasn't it God's word that showed Samuel? And he's, when he was a little younger, a couple years ago, he said, I don't know how to do any of this. And Samuel's going to tell him in a future message we'll preach, when you were little in your own eyes, God could use you. But you got lifted up in pride. Couldn't that be said of many Christians today? It started going downhill for Saul when he believed he knew better than God. But we get in trouble when we say the same thing Saul did here in verses 8, 9, and 10. When we say, number one, I will fix it. I will fix it. I'll take care of this problem in my life. We get in trouble, and that's what Saul said. I'm going to fix this. Samuel hasn't shown up. We've got an enemy around us. I'm going to fix this. My wisdom and my power instead of God's. We get in trouble when we rest in our wisdom and our power instead of God's wisdom. We get in trouble when we say, I will fix it my way. My plan instead of God's. Did you know it wasn't the king's job to offer a sacrifice to God? That was the priest's job. That was the prophet's job. You know, it wasn't his job to offer a sacrifice to God, but he said, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it my way. Look at verse number nine. And Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered a burnt offering. He said, I'll fix it my way. It looked good. What he was doing, the action that he was doing was biblical. He was offering an offering, but he was doing it his way, not God's way. And it all goes downhill from there. And by the way, he said, I don't know who he's talking to, but he said, bring me a burnt offering. Can I just say this? There were some followers that were complicit in allowing Saul to do the wrong thing his way. Now, you can say, and I understand, in those days, you went against the word of the king, it probably met your head. So maybe, you know, if I were there, I might have done the same thing. But what I'm saying is there, there, almost always you find a leader, a toxic leader that chooses to do things his way. There are some followers who are complicit either out of fear or out of loyalty or out of whatever. And they, they allow someone to do something sinful because it makes human sense. Well, he's the king. I guess he can do what he wants. He's the highest ruler in the land. No, that wasn't God's plan. It went away. It went against God's word. And, and if we are followers, by the way, we ought never support a leader that is going against God's word. And you say, Pastor Ryan, it's kind of dangerous you're saying that. You're the pastor of of the church. May I just say, you've heard me say this many times. If you hear me preaching something that is unscriptural, you ought to come and say, Pastor Ryan, what do you think about that? No, it ought to be in the right spirit and a spirit of respect. And we ought not be looking for things, how we can tear down or divide a church or cause a church split. But there should be no leader above scriptural accountability. None. And and if I start doing things with our staff or our deacons and the leadership structures of our church, we have to hold one another accountable. Why? That we don't get lifted up in pride and begin doing things as toxic leaders that will impact dozens or scores or hundreds or even thousands of lives. If someone you love, even a leader, is overriding God's word and their God-given roles, we should lovingly stand up to them and challenge them as Samuel did in this passage. But there were some followers that did not. And again, if you, have a, if you have a problem with our church and our leadership and our actions and our preaching, there's a biblical pattern to follow there. The pattern isn't to go and create discord and to get this little group together over here in the shadows. That's, that's not going about God's way either. That's, a, that's sinful gossip and discord. There's a biblical pattern where you confront a brother that has offended you and then you take two or three witnesses and, and you deal with that. But my prayer, there is no leader that should be above scriptural accountability. None. And King Saul, he said, I'll fix it my way. How many lives would be spared if people didn't willingly comply with ungodly influences and leadership? 
I will fix it, he said. And we get in trouble when we say, I'll fix it. And then we say, I'll fix it my way, my plan instead of God's. Number three, we get in trouble when we say, I'll fix it my way on my timetable. My timing instead of God's. If Saul would have just done right for a short time longer, he would have saved himself a whole bunch of heartache. You see what happened in the Bible? He offered the burnt offering in verse 9, verse 10, and it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. I was waiting, and God, you didn't show up in the time that I thought you would, so I just decided to take it into my own hands. I, I, I thought you were going to bless me with that. I thought I would have that relationship by now. I thought that you would open that door by now. I thought this would happen. I, I thought by now my life would look like that. So I'm tired of waiting on you, God. Let me just take it into my own hands on my timetable. And if he had waited just a little bit longer, as soon as he was done, Samuel shows up. But we get in so much trouble in our lives when we try to rush something that God wants us to wait for. What are you trying to rush in your life or in your leadership? God, I thought you would have showed up by now. It it was supposed to be different by now. I, I thought I would have had X, Y, Z by now. And then we decide to take matters into our own hands. It's always a mistake. Are you gonna try to live your life in your wisdom and your power or God's? Are you going to try to live your life according to your plan or God's? Are you going to try to live your life on your timetable or God's? What did the psalmist say? Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Saul, if you just would have waited a little while longer, God would have taken care of everything. I don't want you to see as we, as we give you the heart of the message and close this up. I want you to see some evidences of a self-willed life and self-willed leadership from this passage that we should strive to avoid. I want you to see in Saul's life, number one, we sometimes disguise our self-will in spiritual clothes. We disguise our self-will in spiritual clothes. What was Saul doing? Offering burnt offerings. That looks good. This is awesome. Our king loves the Lord so much, he offers offerings, he offers sacrifices to God. This looks good. When, When Samuel showed up, what did Saul do? He walked out. And I don't know what the salute was. I don't know what they did. I don't know. But he walked out and saluted them. Hey, hey, Samuel, so good to see you. Saul knew it because he says it just a verse later, a verse or two later. He knew what he had done was wrong and against God's word and God's plan and God's man. But he put on the, everything's good. We look great. Hey, so, so glad you're here, Samuel. Welcome to Gilgal. And Samuel said, what'd you do? And then Saul starts into all his excuses. And tries to justify it all. But sometimes, sometimes in the Christian's life, self-will doesn't always look like a drug-addicted addict that's that's in jail. That's not always what self-will looks like. Self-will doesn't always look like the, 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 the alcoholic uh, Christian that can't get victory or the one that's addicted to this or to that or the one that doesn't ever show up to church and the one that, that makes all these, these, these big external sinful gross sin decisions that we see in their lives. It doesn't always end up as a newsworthy scandal. That's not always what self-will in the Christian life looks like. Sometimes self-will in the Christian life looks like me going to God's house, doing some religious rituals, looking right, saying the right things to the spiritual leaders in our lives. Hey, Samuel, so glad you're here. And we think we have everybody fooled. Sometimes pastors can 
pull the wool over their members' eyes and vice versa. And children can think they have their parents fooled and, and, and students can think they have their teachers fooled and a spouse can think they have their husband or their wife fooled. Sometimes a, a, a self-willed Christian looks like a child of God who does spiritual things, but they do them the wrong ways and for the wrong reasons. They do them to advance their kingdom rather than to advance God's kingdom. They do them to, they, they might sing up here in a special and they might sing in the choir and they might teach us Sunday school class, but they do it for their reputation, not and for their name, not for the name of Christ. Just because everything looks good doesn't mean everything is good. Sometimes, in the midst of our religious piety, we're filled with self-will. And we serve to impress, and we serve for man's approval, and we do these things, but in our hearts, it's all about us. That was Saul's problem. Every, what he was doing, it was wrong because the king shouldn't have done it, but it, it was spiritual. It was a spiritual act. What he was doing, now it wasn't his job to do it, but I, I want you to see what Samuel says to Saul a few chapters later. We're going to study this in depth, but turn with me over, if you will, to chapter 15. I want you to see this. Chapter 15, verse number 16. Chapter 15, verse number 16, and Samuel said, I said this verse earlier, when thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? When you were following God and humble, God had such a great plan for you. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord? You went your way, not God's. But didst fly upon the spoil and didst evil in the sight of the Lord. Notice what Saul says. And Saul said unto Samuel, again, dressed in his self-righteousness, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But, the next two words, the people. He doesn't take responsibility. It's somebody else's fault. The people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed. Verse 22, and Samuel said, Hath the Lord... Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Does God care more about your heart attitude toward him or does he care about your external actions? He said, is he more worried about your religious rituals or about your true heart spirit? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to hearken than the fat of rams, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because thou hast has rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, the, 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 the spiritual leader in his life, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. I cared more about what I thought was right and what others around me thought was right than what God knew was right. May I just say one thing we learn, because we see that sometimes we disguise our self-will in spiritual clothes. And when we start living our, our lives in self-will, not in God's will, it's all downhill from there. Not in an easier way. It gets worse and worse, and it picks up speed. May I say this? God is more concerned with our heart of surrender to his plan than with our outward religious rituals. Church family, are you living a surrendered life or a self-willed life? Are you living a surrendered life or a self-willed life? 
Where did it all start going wrong for Saul? When he got lifted up in pride and he said, I'm going to do what I think is best, not what I've been taught is best from God's word and from godly leaders in my life. Not what I know is best. Notice I didn't ask if you go to church every Sunday. You're here on Sunday night, so I know you go to church most every Sunday. I didn't ask if you gave an offering today. I didn't ask if you're the pastor of this church or on the payroll of this church. I asked, are you living a life of true surrender or of self-will? When we start living in self-will, it's all downhill. It will affect our relationships, our families, our leadership, our ministry. Number two, not only do we sometimes disguise our self-will in spiritual clothes. Number two, we justify our self-will due to circumstances. Notice the middle of chapter number 11. Samuel said, what hast thou done? Notice what he says. And so Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me. He goes on to say, the Philistines were over here. I had to do this. It was the only way out. I, it, I had to take matters into my own hands. Oh, no, you didn't, Saul. You could have rested and waited on the Lord. You could, have let, you could have obeyed God's word when it didn't make sense. You could have trusted him when you didn't want to. You could have stopped and stayed there. But we justify our self-will. Well, you don't understand this thing in my life, and you don't understand what came here. And so I'm justified in disobeying God's word. I'm justified in following my own plan and my own path. It's the circumstances around me that led me to this. Well, I have to do this because this happened in my life. I had to take matters into my own hands because of this unwanted circumstance. I made that choice because of what others chose. It wasn't my fault. Well, Pastor Ryan, if this had turned out differently in my life, I would have made better choices. I, I really didn't have any other choice than to do that thing that I knew God wouldn't be pleased with. No, no, a thousand times no. We are not victims of our circumstances. We dress up our self-will. We disguise it in spiritual clothes. We, we justify it. He did it multiple times. He Saul, this is, this, Samuel, this is why I did it. We justify it because of the things going on around us. Well, if my life was just a little differently, then I would be following God. Then I would be fully surrendered. Number three, we blame our self-will on others' actions. Samuel says, what, did you, what, what, have you, what have you done, Saul? What does he say at the end of verse 11? Well, why did I do this? He said, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. What did he say? Samuel? It's your fault. You didn't show up on time. It's the Philistines' fault. I knew they were about to come get us. It's my pastor's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's my teacher's fault. It's my husband's fault. By the way, parents that have children in your home, and I'm not talking again. I just talked about there should be no authority in anyone's life that is above the accountability of Scripture. But I am talking about teaching our children to take personal responsibility. I'd be very careful in, your, in the lives as you're raising your children uh, of, of always taking your child's side against the authority. You're teaching some dangerous things. Now, I'm not talking about if there's abuse or if there's been something unscriptural, we ought to, that, that ought to be held accountable. I'm talking about the fact, well, it wasn't, and every time, and you, you work in youth ministry long enough, and you work in school ministry long enough, and you find out there are some families that it's always the classmates' fault, and it's always the teacher's fault, and it doesn't matter if they've been in eight different teacher's classes. Somehow, that, that, the, all eight of those teachers were wrong, and it was not Johnny's fault. And, well, the teacher wasn't fair. I got that bad grade because she didn't tell me there was a quiz, and, and, and that happened to me. Be be very careful about letting your children manipulate you and con constantly uh, causing you to believe it was somebody else's fault. 
I would say even when it might not, a teacher might not have been perfect, you, you teach your children, take personal, no, you could have done better. You should have studied harder. No, you, don't, don't give me that. No, it's not your brother's fault. How many times with our beautiful five perfect children that are sitting right here, how many times at home they, they've, they've done something where they did something they knew they shouldn't have done? Why did you do that? And they know, they immediately, the first response they give, well, Titus, and that's not Titus saying, it's one of the other ones. Well, Titus did this first. What are they saying? I'm gonna blame my sinful actions on somebody else. Well, no, but, but, and they always shade it, almost always shade it to make them look good and the sibling look bad. It's never their fault. And we've had these conversations many a times. Somehow it's amazing. It's never your fault. And by the way, it's which one of those five are you talking about? All five of them, because they're just like their mom and their dad. We are masters at justifying our sin because of our circumstances and also blaming our self-will and our sin on others' actions. Well, it's Samuel, it's the Philistines' fault. It's my enemy's fault. It's the government's fault. It's never my fault. I, I, I've been held down. I can't get a job in America. It's not fair. It's, no, it's, it's me. I've got to take responsibility for my choices. I'm not justified in doing what I want because others have let me down. Uh, my boss made me do it. It was my friend's fault. It was so much stress in my life. No, we all need to take responsibility for our actions and our choices. Don't let someone else have that power in your life. And by the way, I'm not saying that nobody has ever hurt you and it hasn't affected your life. I'm not saying that. I know there are deep hurts represented in this room by spouses, by children, by parents, by friends, by bosses, by coworkers, by neighbors, by relatives. I'm not saying that nobody has hurt you. What, what I am saying is don't let them continue to hurt you by causing you to make more destructive choices as you move forward because you refuse to take responsibility for your choices from this day forward. Hey, S S Saul, what'd you do? What'd you do? Well, you didn't show up on time. The Philistines were out there. It's not my, what did he say? We just read it in chapter 15. I obeyed God. It was the people that did it. He was a master at blaming others. What part of your life have you been justifying your wrong choices because of what someone else has done to you? Well, if I would have grown up in a different home, then I would be a better fill in the blank. Well, if I didn't have to go through that, then I wouldn't have this problem in my life. Then, no, God can give us victory. Lastly, you've listened well. Let me wrap it up. Verse 12. With our self-will, it all started going downhill when we listened to our fears rather than our faith. Verse 12. Therefore, because of everybody else's actions, therefore said I, again, leaning on his own wisdom, not God's, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord, I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. What did he say? Because I was scared of what I thought was coming, I decided to do something I never should have done. May I say this? Fear is a terrible decision maker. Don't make decisions based on fear, but rather on faith. When, when we are scared about the future and what might happen, we are prone to make foolish decisions. We will force things, as Saul did, that never should have been done. We will handle things in ways we never would have if we were thinking uh, spiritually and rationally. I've said it before. I've told people in our church when I've counseled them through deep times of grief and trauma in their lives, I've said, and I, it's not original with me, I heard it from somebody else, but I've told them, don't make major decisions when your decision maker is broken. Meaning this, 
when you're in the middle of a deep valley, a deep crisis in your life, that's not the time to be making major decisions. Why? Because if you're not careful, you're going to be making those decisions based on fear or on flesh, not on faith. What feels good, what seems right, what I think will fix it, rather than going to God and his word and prayer and godly counselors in our lives. Don't make a major decision when your decision maker is broken. There's a a death in the family. That's not the time to be making major life-altering decisions. A great heartache or trial comes into your life. You get unexpected bad news. Those are not the times, on your own at least, to be making major decisions. I want you to see it. I bet you to turn to a couple places. Turn to two more spots with me. I want you to see two more verses. Chapter 10, verse 24. Go with me, please. See this, and I, I promise I'm done. I've got two paragraphs left in my notes. Chapter 10, verse 24. I want you to see it. Samuel is introducing Saul to the people. Chapter 10, verse 24. Would you read it aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And Samuel said to all the people, See ye him whom the Lord hath chosen, that there is none like him among all the people? And all the people shouted and said, God save the king. Sounds like a pretty good inauguration. Wasn't planned, but sounds like a pretty good one. There's none like him among all the people. The Lord has chosen him. And they said, God, save the king. Skip over, if you will, to chapter 16, verse 35. Chapter 16, verse 35. Oh, that's not right. There is no chapter. There is no 1635. Oh, 1535. There it is. Sometimes you write things in your notes that aren't right. 1535. Would you read it aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. How do you get from that first verse to that last verse? How do you get there? Look who the Lord's chosen. There's no one like him. God save the king. This is awesome. Man, our future's so bright. God repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. How do you get there? It started here in chapter 13. How do you get to a life that's been saved by the blood of Christ, been forgiven, been given so much, and then you get to a life of heartache and regret and tears and scars and pain and destroyed relationships? How do you get there? It all starts in chapter 13 when we get lifted up in self-will. I'm going to do these things, and I'm going to do these things my way, and I'm going to do them on my timetable. That spirit will lead any one of us to complete and utter spiritual destruction. I'm going to make these choices in my wisdom, my plan, my timetable, well, it's the people's fault. It's because that pastor let me down. It's because my, my, my spouse walked out on me. It's because that leader in my childhood did me wrong. It's because I got mixed up and, and I was just mixed up with the wrong crowd and they, they manipulated me and we justify because of our circumstances and we blame and, and we dress it up. We keep coming to church, but in our hearts, it's an evil, evil pride and self-will. It all started going downhill in chapter 13 when he was self-willed rather than spirit-filled. And it, this is going to chapter 13 is going to eventually lead to him visiting a witch's house and then committing suicide on the battlefield. But it started with some seemingly small decisions to follow self. Let me say that again. 
It's going to lead to him visiting a witch's house and committing suicide on the battlefield. That is how the great reign of King Saul is going to end at the end of our study. And where did it start? It started with him just taking some matters into his own hand that sounded good. He justified himself because of fear and fleshliness. What's the answer, church? How do we keep from that in our lives? We say, God, your plan. Your way. Your wisdom. Your word. Your timing. God, I take my hands off of my life. If your word says it, I'll do it. If your word says not to do it, I won't do it. If, 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 it's, if it's godly leaders in my life that are, that, are, that are teaching me according to your word, I'm gonna follow that. Your spirit convicts me there. I'm gonna get that out of my life. God, I take my hands off of my life and I follow you. And if we will, every era, area of our lives will go better when we live like that. But may I ask every person here, what part of your life have you taken into your own hands? A relationship a career choice, a habit, a way that you spend your money or your time. High school student, what part of your life have you taken into your own hands? College student, single adult, married couple, what part of your life have you taken into your own hands? Don't dress it up in spiritual clothes. Don't justify it. Don't blame others for it. Every day, every day, you and I have to choose. Will we be self-willed or will we be spirit-filled? When we're spirit-filled, the future is as bright as the promises of God. And when we say, I'm going to do it my way, on my timetable, this makes sense to me because of my circumstances, because of this person in my life, their actions, the way they let me down, their disappointments. When we do that, when we get lifted up in self-will, it's all downhill from here. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.